Welcome to Boss Files. I'm Poppy Harlow. For all of us, our routines have been completely upended by the coronavirus pandemic. Frankly, for those of us who are healthy, we feel lucky just to be healthy and grateful to all of those helping care for sick patients on the front lines. As far as my job as a journalist, well, my day job anchoring for CNN hasn't changed. Good morning, everyone. I'm Poppy Harlow. But what happens when I get home certainly has. When I walk in the door every day right around noon, my two kids, little kids, are here waiting for me instead of being at their preschool. Like just about every other child in the country, their schools are closed. And so my daily routine now involves another job, teacher. So right at noon every day, it's Zoom class online for our four-year-old girl, Sienna. My husband and I, we do our best. Where do you think the big bad wolf went? Mm. Where do you think he went, honey? No. You don't know? That's okay. Do you have a guess? Maybe he's going to blow down his own house. Well, we're working on it. So today's show is all about this new normal for parents, for children, and for their teachers. I talked to the leaders of two education organizations that are doing what they can to make sure that students don't fall behind and that teachers have the resources they need for this new reality, which is teaching remotely. Bless all of our teachers, by the way. We get into that. A little bit later in the show, I talked to Reshma Sajani. She is the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. We talk about how this crisis in so many ways is just exacerbating inequality in this country. I think if you are a student with means, you're bored, right? You know, this is a challenging time. You're trying to figure out what to do. You may be learning a new skill. I think if you are poor, you may have thought that you were going to... you know, have an opportunity and that that light is starting to dim. And so I think if you're a child, it really depends on your socioeconomic situation right now. But first, the CEO of Teachers Pay Teachers, Joe Holland, tells me how his group is working to support teachers and parents who are trying to sort of become teachers as school gets moved out of the classroom and into the home. Joe, thanks for thanks for talking to us about this. Thank you for having me, Poppy. It's great to be with you. To be honest, I had no idea that this existed, Teachers Pay Teachers. And then when our producer, Zach, brought it to my attention, I was so excited to learn more. And I think it's a pretty genius idea and what a moment it is for you guys. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, what is Teachers Pay Teachers in in normal times? Sure. In normal times, Teachers Pay Teachers, we call it TPT is the world's largest online marketplace for educational resources um, created by teachers for teachers. So it was started in 2006 by a middle school English teacher in Brooklyn named Paul Edelman. And Paul had that normal teacher experience of feeling overwhelmed, undersupported, isolated. And he thought, I know that there are teachers all around who have experience that could help me. And he thought there has to be a better way. And so he created TPT as a place where teachers could come together and help each other by sharing what they know. And what that means is we have educational resources on TPT that teachers come to buy, share, and and, uh, sell. And these teachers are um, creating them from their own classroom experiences, from what they know, uh, working with students. And with every dollar that's uh, sold on TPT, they keep the majority of that sale. 
And so if you fast forward from Paul back in 2006 to here in 2020, we have four and a half million resources on the site. We have six million uh, people who use those resources in the last year, and that includes 85% of U.S. school teachers and a growing number of parents and administrators as well. So let's pick up there on a growing number of parents, because overnight, essentially, parents had to try, not so successfully for some of us, to become teachers. I think Shonda Rhimes, the famous TV producer, put it best. I loved this tweet from her. She wrote, been homeschooling a six and eight-year-old for one hour and 11 minutes. Teachers deserve to make a billion dollars a year or a week. And I think we would all agree. <laughs> yes, we had parents who were coming to the site. But at this point in time, Poppy, we have about five times the normal number on our site looking for resources to help their students to support the teachers who are trying to do this distance learning. And everyone's making the best that they can in this moment. What are parents trying to buy or, or learn? Yeah, so I, I, I think if, if you're talking about early elementary, you know, they're, they're looking for English uh, and, and reading and, and writing type, types of resources. Um, a lot of them looking for online resources at any grade level. Um, but in general, the, what they're doing is, is trying to figure out what the teachers are, can bring to them and then trying to supplement as well. And so it's, it's a lot of... Um, uh, trial by error, and, and I think um, speaking with someone as I have four school age kids here at home, and and it's it's oh, a wow. challenge. You know, we've got you know some kids. You know, my fifth grader, he's ready to go. He's asking for more work. He's saying, "What else can I do?" And my seventh grader just thinks it's great to spend more time on the Xbox right now. And so, <laughs> I think we're all you know living in that reality of you know how do you make best in in this crisis situation. Yeah. I mean, the fact that my two year old and he just turned two knows now how to say Elmo phone. Elmo phone. Every time he says it, I feel like a bad parent because that is my go-to last resort. Because if he's having a meltdown and I have to get something done or be with my daughter, it's Elmo on my phone. I think that's right. I think I think everybody is at this point saying, you know, it all bets are off on the screen time, and and the best we can do, you know, in in these months is to figure out how to support the teachers and 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 keep our kids learning. Distance learning. So many more searches on your site for distance learning. Can you talk about what? has worked for parents in terms of helping teach them just, you know, how to best teach remotely and, and engage remotely with the classroom, but also sort of where the hiccups have been. Yeah. On our side, at least, we have over 10 times uh, the number of searches for, you know, online resources, digital, distance learning, those types of things that are of the moment here at, at TPT. And, you know, I, I think um, it's also bringing up one of the larger issues that, that we've known about for some time, but really shining a light in a big way is this digital divide that we have between, you know, the, the people who have ready access to um, to internet at home. There's 14% of, of school-age kids live in households where they can't access the internet um, easily, um, and so we're we're having um, you know a real important dialogue here at the company of how do we continue to support teachers in very uh, various circumstances. And so um, I'll give you one example. We have uh, a teacher author. Uh, we call our sellers on our site. We call them teacher authors. We have one um, who's based in New Jersey, and she uh, helps teach uh, English language learners. And right as the crisis was breaking, she created uh, a resource that was about a two-week worth of, of, of content. Um, pretty soon, she had uh, another teacher on our site who, who's lived in South Carolina who was adding to that. And this was a resource that, that did not need technology, that was very um, 
minimal in terms of oversight needed by a parent. And this is something that has been shared across schools, across districts, has been added to by other teachers on the site. And, and at this point, it's like an eight-week resource. And, and I think that just speaks to the creativity. It speaks to the ingenuity of the teaching population right now, trying to meet the needs of students and, uh, and help parents in this moment. Who, though, when you talk about those without access to Wi-Fi, there's a huge there's a huge gap here. The disparity is is stark and it's becoming even more evident because of this crisis. So not only lack of access to Wi-Fi, lack of access to computers. You know, it's been great to see some companies and cities stepping up and donating Chromebooks, et cetera, laptops. But um, where have you seen the biggest challenge in terms of those children, uh, underserved children who just their needs are not getting met this way? Yeah, yeah, we, we we know it's been an issue. It's becoming a, a starker issue in this moment in time. And we're seeing not only teachers on our site who are stepping up and helping out, but even administrators. Like, I'll give an example. We have a product um, that we launched this year. It's a subscription product for a school called TPT School Access. It provides um, every teacher in the school access to uh, resources on, on Teachers Pay Teachers. And we have a rural... Idaho um, district that has all these people who are in this situation where they don't have reliable internet access. We have principals and teachers printing out the resources from their TBT subscription and driving them to the houses of these students. That's um, happening right now. Happening right now in Idaho. Wow, and, like, and leaving them sort of, you know, leaving them and then they come out and pick them up. I would say at a six foot distance at least. Wow. Under normal circumstances, teachers who are creating these materials on your site typically make money, right? And likely depend on that as supplementary income. How are they, how are they making money now? Yeah. So, so we do it in, in a couple of ways. So as I mentioned, we have uh, a subscription product right now um, that is being used by more and more schools. Um, mm-hmm. When the crisis broke, we realized that there was a huge demand for the subscription, but in terms of getting through all the hoops of purchase orders and all these things, it was just a mess. So we turned our free, our, our TPT school access into a free subscription. And so we have tens of thousands of teachers right now who are accessing these resources um, for free. At the same time, TBT is paying out the teachers who are selling these resources with every with every access on the, on the subscription. So we're giving it for free to the administrators and the teachers, but we're continuing to pay out the sellers, these teachers who are selling on our site. Similarly, we just um, gave away $100,000 in gift cards um, to buyers on TPT over the weekend so that they could continue to spend it at a high level on TPT. But in general, Poppy, we're seeing yeah. record levels of, of activity on the site, and we're continuing to see uh, teachers being paid for their, uh, for their great ingenuity and, and expertise. Can I ask you to hold on just one second, Joe? Yes. I think I hear one of the children. Hold on. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sienna, are you here? I'm going to close the door because I'm recording something in the closet, and I'm going to give you this, okay? Five minutes, okay? Sorry about that. No worries. It'll probably be me in a minute with one of my kids. Okay. (laughs) In terms of what you're hearing from them, you, I would assume, leading TPD, talk to teachers all the time, talk to principals. What are you hearing from them? Um, we're, we're hearing a lot of frustration, you know, so I, we talked with one teacher last week who said, you know what, I've, I've in 30 years of teaching, I've never worked so hard and never felt like I've accomplished so little. And, and it's just a really heartbreaking moment, right? Where they're, they're doing everything they can. It's not the same as, as it was, um, pre-crisis. Um, but they're, they're stepping up, they're doing the best in a crisis situation. Um, but it, but it is a, it is challenging and you have teachers who are saying, you know what, I miss my students. I wish I could be with them. And, And that's, it's tough. It's very, very tough. 
before I go, one of the the things I wanted to ask is for you as a as a leader. You have four kids at home. Yes. What's it personally? Can you take us into your house? What's it like to be a CEO at this moment with four children that you are trying to homeschool? What's it like? What's the juggle like? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a, it, I mean, you, you know what it's like. It's, it's a challenge to, to be toggling back and forth between the demands of, of the, the role you're in and, and, and being a parent. And, um, you know, on one hand, it it's, um, can feel overwhelming. I, at the same time, you know, I, I have to say, in the midst of all this sadness that, that we're experiencing, I'm really grateful for um, time with my four kids. My oldest, uh, my daughter, is uh, a senior in high school. And oh, wow. so a few months. She'll be at the door soon. Be at the door soon. And so, you know, being able to be with the four of them and my wife, um, uh, it's, it's, there, there's something really special about it, but yes, it's it's challenging. And, and, and as far as the company is concerned, you know, we're just really focused on how do we take our 150 yeah. employees at TBT and make sure they're safe and healthy. Joe, thank you. Luca's now crying too, so <laughs> I gotta jump. Joe, I'm sorry about that. This is just reality. Not you at know, all, Pop, like. Poppy. It was, it was so wonderful to, to meet you, and thanks for making time for TPT. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Girls Who Code founder and CEO Reshma Sujani will talk about her organization and what they're doing to help kids bridge the digital divide, but also why this is the most challenging time for her as a leader. And now my conversation with Reshma Sujani, founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. Reshma, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Poppy. Yeah, what what a time, right? Um, but what an important time for you guys to exist and to have adapted the way you have. I just want to say at the outset, congratulations on your new baby boy, eight, eight weeks old. Eight weeks old, thank you. Uh, second second child, it's a juggle for sure. I am with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's just begin with your mission as a whole. Lay it out for people if you could. Yeah. Uh, so Girls of Code, we, we say that we're a movement to close a gender gap in computer science and technology. Um, you know, less than 20% of the technology workforce is female and we want to change that. And so we host free summer immersion programs and after school clubs. We run 80 free summer programs, 10,000 girls who code clubs across the country and internationally um, to help close the gender gap in computer science and tech. Half of our girls are under the poverty line. Half our girls are black and Latina. Uh, we will have served 300,000 girls um, and reached over a billion. So I almost feel like with the COVID crisis, we, our organization is at the epicenter of, uh, of that uh, and all of the challenges that we're seeing in education right now. Did you ever prepare as a leader, as a founder, ever think we could have a moment like this? Did you ever prepare in advance for a pandemic scenario when all of America's children were just out of school for who knows how long? No. I mean, I, the past couple of months have just been a blur. Well, first of all, I was on maternity leave, right? And right. imagine I'd be doing something very different at this moment. And then, you know, one by one, you know, when the schools started closing, that meant so many of our after school clubs were being shut down. And so we had to manage, you know, what do we do to continue to support girls and their education right now? And then as we kind of gear towards the summer and the uncertainty of whether offices will open, you know, we're in the process of planning virtual summer programs, which we've never done before. 
you know, in the past eight years that Girls Who Code's been around, you know, we've made a tremendous amount of progress. You know, you walk into any computer science department, you know, in the country and you're almost at 30 percent young women. I mean, 300,000 girls we've taught. And so every minute that goes by, every week that goes by, every month that goes by that we're not educating our girls and teaching them to code, it's like, you know, a minute, a month, a year that we fall behind. There's a lot of concern. One of my my colleagues sent me an article in The Atlantic from a few years ago about post-Katrina and education and the long-term impact of all of the missed education in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, especially in and around New Orleans. And I wonder if you think about that now and if you worry about that as this gets longer and longer. Oh, beyond. I mean, you know, there's a lot, of, you know, we have, what, 55 million kids K through 12, right, that have been impacted by COVID. You know, 12 million of them lack, you know, access to Wi-Fi at home. And for many of our students and students across the country, right, you know, school's more than just learning, right? It's how they get a meal once a day. It's how they get counseling. It's how they get special education services. It's how they develop socially. And, you know, while I think there's a lot of, quote, excitement about remote learning, I think if you are an underserved student, you are having a very different experience right now, right? Right. There are uh, p- parents like, uh, you know, I and some of us complain about how do I do this Zoom school, et cetera. But that's nothing like what many children are dealing with now. Some with no parents at home, by the way, because they're essential workers. They have to go to work. Single parent homes, et cetera. They're not getting that attention. And I wonder in a, in a moment like this, when just sort of getting a meal on the table is the crisis at hand for so many, what about those who say, well, is, isn't coding a luxury? Isn't it a luxury for us to be talking about, you know, continuing to learn to code in a moment like this for, for, for children and teenagers? What do you, what do you think? I mean, I don't, I think that when you have, you know, millions and millions of people that are unemployed, right. And industries that are being automated and shifted, you know, by the minute, I think it's going to become even more important that kids learn how to code. You know, I think that we're learning how to do some of this stuff, right, via technology. And that means that, like, some jobs are going to, quite frankly, be displaced. And so, you know, it's really about thinking about what are the last jobs left standing, and they're going to be technology jobs and coding jobs. And these are jobs that pay really well, right? I mean, every business right now has a shortage of engineers. And so what I want to do is walk out of this crisis where we are going to have even more poverty, right, even more desperation, and have a renewed commitment of how we're going to teach kids, especially the ones that are being left behind, how to how to have a job in the 21st century, because they're going to need it. So how are you doing it? Can you actually walk us through the basics of how your program has changed from, you know, let's say the beginning of the year when this was unthinkable in terms of the scale in the U.S. to now? How did you take this and adapt the program to teaching it at home? So, so I'm really, you know, it's funny as a leader right now, I'm really struggling with this question because... I still believe, and all the data shows, that girls will learn to code if they're in a classroom where they can ask questions and place-based learning is still important to them, especially for underserved girls, right? Like most underserved girls today in this country do not have an ideal remote working environment, right? And so they're simply just not logging on to class, right? You're, you're seeing that? Oh, absolutely. You're seeing absolutely. the drop off. Absolutely. Because they have to take care of another sibling. I mean, think about how stressful your day is, right? With your two kids at your feet. 
And yeah, but I, I have nothing to complain about. I'm luckier right. the most, but I hear you. Yeah. Right. And it's like, so that experience, how can you get on a Zoom call, right? When you have to take care of somebody else in your household, or you have, you know, 200 square feet, or, you know, you don't know where you're getting your meal today, or your parent has anxiety or about whether they're going to lose their job or they've already lost their job. You're not, you can't learn. And so, you know, for me, I think that we have to provide programs to respond to the crisis, but then we have to remind people that if we are serious about closing the poverty gap, and if we're serious about closing the gender gap, that there's still a way, we have to go back to the way that we were quite frankly learning. And I feel very strongly about that. So, you know, we run 80 summer immersion programs this summer. And so many of our companies, we suspect are probably not gonna open to host those girls. And so we are in the process of building kind of what a virtual summer camp would look like. And we're, you know, we're thinking about a lot of these questions, like how many hours should that be? You know, how do you break up the day? You know, how do you place girls together that have similar working environments, right? When you have one student that's going to be sitting in their house with the Hamptons and another one that's going to be living in a homeless shelter. How does that work? Right. And so we're really and there's not a lot of information. And so, you know, we've been I've been putting together town halls, working on putting together town halls with some of our teachers that work in Title One schools to say, you know, what are you learning? What are you seeing? What's working? Are you right now able to teach some of those girls virtually? How is that going as you've tried to your solution for now has been to move the platform solely digital online? Yeah, I think it's, you know, we've had thousands of people download um, our assignments and I, we have an entire recruitment team that is working with teachers and volunteers to get these clubs to kind of virtually meet. Uh, We also have 300 college loops. So like we've been really working deeply on reducing the attrition rate of women leaving computer science when they declare it as a major. And I did a town hall with these young women and look, one, they're anxious and nervous right? They have exams. They're stressed. They don't know if college is going to open back up in the fall. Their internship programs have been canceled. And so they're just kind of struggling to get by. But what they're also looking for is community and sisterhood, right? And and someone to kind of share who's having a common experience to talk to and to build. And so it's interesting, like there is a renewed interest in coding and I think that there are parents and, and, and girls that are desperate looking to continue their education. I think that the challenge and the opportunity for us in the education space is to figure out how do I teach the hardest to reach girl remotely or online and have success with that? How do you get her to come out of her shell when you can't take her to the side and talk to her one-on-one in the same way or give her a hug? Or Yeah. And, you know, you think about it, the first week where a lot of us as adults, right, started working on Zoom, people saw your apartment. They saw where you lived, right? They saw what you look like. And we're adults and we have, you know, at 43, I'm living with, you know, I'm, I'm living in my own authenticity, but it took me time. Imagine if you're a kid. Yep. And now everybody in your classroom is seeing your home environment and seeing what's happening. And it, that's tough. What about, um, another thing I, I keep thinking about a, a lot Uh, as well as sort of this exacerbating the income and inequality gap, is special needs students. Mm. Those who uh, hopefully in their schools are lucky enough to have specialized teachers focused on them. Uh, I'm sure some of them are girls who code students as well. Yes, they are. What does this moment mean for them? And how do you reach them virtually? It's so hard. 
It's so hard, right? Because for them, it's a lot of, of a lot of attention and time from teachers and adults. And, you know, do they have those resources at home? And I think for a lot of teachers, like every teacher I know is just stressed out right? They're working harder than they ever had before. Many of them are learning new technologies that they don't know how to use. And they too, right, want to be able to give a hug, right? Or a pat on the back or to look them in the eyes and they can't have that connection. So I think it's incredibly um, challenging for our special needs kids. And, you know, many of these kids, you know, they're going to, they're going to miss a grade, right? We're going to have to reevaluate what we do in the fall about how, we get folks back on track and get the services that they need. I mean, I think if anything, this crisis has shown the gap. Oh, yeah. That, you know, saying this is the great equalizer, it's just not. It's not not even close. Mm-hmm. It's actually, you know, it, it hits so many different layers of people. But you see the disparity in care. You see the disparity in terms of those who have to leave to go to work, Right. And those who don't and who can work sort of from the comfort of their own home. So what do you need, Reshma? I mean, like, you know, you've dabbled in politics before. What do you need from the federal government, state government, city governments, any any city acting in an exemplary way that's helping you guys? It's a model. Well, look, I think that there are a lot of leaders that I'm looking to for inspiration at this moment, you know, like Governor Cuomo and you know, Alexandra Ocasio, who I think is really talking about the need to fight to protect our communities and our loved ones. And I think it's continuing to call attention to this. You know, you're seeing a lot more conversation around how this is shining a light on the inequity. Because again, I think in the beginning, people were, wow, this is really exciting. We can do remote learning and blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, organizations and companies will be fundamentally changed. And we weren't talking about all the people that we were leaving behind. And I think that we need to call more attention to that and shine a light on that. And also recognize that if we're going to go through a second wave in September and October and November, that we learn from what we've seen in March, April and May. And if we and we have the opportunity to do that kind of look back and that, you know, there's real resources that are being put into providing students, you know, with services and care. Like I was you know, I was hopeful that in my state that they had opened up, you know, daycare centers for essential workers and that they were leaving the schools open so that kids could actually get meals. Um, But I still think that there's far too many, you know, students that are quite frankly, just have given up, right? And are just not even being educated kind of at this moment that are still hungry, right? That whose economic prospects are looking dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I think that we have to continue to think about how we support them. Um, before we go, just two two quick questions. One is, I wonder if you've had conversations with any of these girls or their families during this crisis. Any anecdotes you could could share with us? I think that there is a two narratives. I think if you are a student with means, you're bored, right? You know, this is a challenging time. You're trying to figure out what to do. You may be learning a new skill. I think if you are poor, you may have thought that you were going to... Uh, you know, have an opportunity and that that light is starting to dim. And so I think if you're a child, it's it really depends on your socioeconomic situation right now. What about for you? What for you personally? What is it like to lead at a critical moment when you are trying to homeschool? You have a five-year-old boy and an eight-week-old baby boy. That's not that's not easy. Can you sort of take us into Reshma's house dealing with this every day? Whew. Um 
I think that this has been the hardest moment for me as a leader. Every day I think about my employees, right, um, who are reliant on me for paycheck and for health care. And uh, at a time where, like, a lot of our work has been decimated. I think also about, like, how I'm showing up and who I want to be when I come out of this, because we will get out of this, and how I make decisions from a sober perspective and how I role model for my leaders and how I can, you know, take care of myself, right? Whether that is uh, waking up at six and just meditating for five minutes before everybody wakes up. Um, Because, you know, I have to be innovative and creative right now. I have to make sure that Girls Who Code is stronger when we get out of this than when we started. I have to think about how I can build a model for my underserved girls so they come out of this stronger, more educated, more prepared than before this. And I actually think that that's possible. Have you been able to to get through this without any layoffs? You mentioned a lot of your business has gone. Yes, so far without layoffs to full-time employees. Uh, and, you know, we are hopefully going to be able to take advantage of the, um, of the CARE Act. But... Good, good. But it's not, you know, it's not easy, right? And but at the same time, it's like it's it's like a burden that you don't, I don't want to have on my shoulders. I am so conscious of people's um, need to be employed and need to have health care and need to have certainty right now. We wish you luck, Reshma. Let's check in this summer, maybe end of the summer, and see how how it all went. And until then, we'll be thank you cheering and, you guys on. And thank you, Poppy, for calling attention to this issue because I, I, in all of this, I hope I don't want it to get. Um, lost that, 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 you know, while everyone's very excited about technology and remote learning, that, that it's not that it's not great for everyone. No, it's not. We will, we'll keep shining a light. Reshma, good luck. I'll let you get back Thank to, you. to the baby and, and the executive work you have to do. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Take okay. care. Thanks to all of you for being with me today. If you enjoyed this episode of Boss Files, make sure to keep tuning in over the next several weeks as we talk to more leaders about how they are navigating all of the uncertainty and the challenges during this pandemic. And as always, I want to hear what you think. Leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app and tell me who you want to hear from. You can find me on social media at Poppy Harlow CNN. We'll be back soon with another episode of Boss Files. Thanks so much for listening. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.